Welcome to Dear Human Resources. In each episode, you'll hear about current HR topics and trends from experts, both practitioners and researchers, with the goal of giving you an insider's look at human resources. I'm your host, Marilyn Germain. In this episode, three HR professionals discuss recruiting in the U.S. Navy during the COVID-19 pandemic and leadership in the U.S. Navy. My three guests are Margaret Madureda Gresham, Stara Rogers, and Katie Rogers. Margaret Madureda Gresham currently serves as an active duty naval officer in the human resources field. She's been a top performing talent acquisition specialist for officers, helping over 75 men and women accomplish their dreams of leadership in the military over the last three years. Prior to Navy recruitment, Margaret served as a civil engineer for the Navy Reserve while working full-time as a project manager in a private consulting firm. A native of Wilmington in North Carolina, she graduated in 2014 from North Carolina State University with a degree in biological engineering. Star Rogers is in her final days of the Western Carolina University's master's degree in HR program. She also holds an undergraduate degree from Catawba College in political science, focusing in public administration with a minor in business administration. She has over 15 years of experience in local government, primarily in the field of urban planning, and she is now the planning and development manager for the city of Concord. Starla is passionate about her role as a public servant and finds fulfillment in developing others to take on similar roles in service to the general public. Katie Rogers is currently pursuing her master's in HR at Western Carolina University with plans to graduate this coming December. She got her undergraduate degree in finance with a concentration in financial planning and management in 2019, also from WCU. She currently works in higher education at a small liberal arts college while interning for a nature consulting firm out of the Durham area. Her passions are recruitment and retention, and she wants to help empower organizations through innovative full-cycle recruitment. We should also mention that your research involved a fourth author, Olivia Berkeset. Olivia was unable to attend this podcast recording. She's a recent graduate of WCU's Master of Science in HR, and she recently accepted an HR position with Amazon, and she's excited to take her knowledge and experience on her new journey. Welcome to all three of you. Starla, can you tell our listeners how your study of recruitment in the U.S. Navy during the pandemic came about? So thank you so much for having us. Uh, We're pretty elated to be here and you know, as you mentioned, our, our paper is related to leadership in the U.S. Navy recruiting sector during COVID-19. And uh, just as a side note, the paper was recently accepted by the Academy of Human Resource Development, and we were able to present it at their January conference this year. So that was a pretty neat opportunity for the team. And I would just like to thank you for all of the hard work that you did in helping us get to that point. You know, the team would like to extend a big thank you for all of that. It was an experience that we're always going to remember and carry with us as part of the MSHR program. So again, thank you. But our paper started as a master's course research project back in the summer of 2020. You know, right as COVID-19 really took its stronghold in the U.S. with government lockdowns, public health measures, and those were becoming more stringent. But this is also about the same time that organizations were beginning to have an opportunity facilitate organized reactions to the crisis rather than just those initial knee-jerk reactions. 
So for our project in one of our leadership courses, our team was tasked with interviewing an HR professional that was currently working through the challenges of organizational leadership and management under this big uncertain cloud of COVID-19. And our team was really fortunate because one of our team members, Margaret Gresham, is a member of the United States Navy, and she introduced us to her commanding officer, Commander Mark F. Smith. So, you know, before I go really any further, I'd just like to take a second and thank both Margaret and Commander Smith for their service to our country. I think that really deserves to be recognized. So again, thank you, Margaret and Commander Smith, as well as, you know, any other service members that are out there listening to our podcast today. So thank you for your service. Commander Smith turned out to be a fantastic interviewee for our team. He was extremely open and forthcoming, and we conducted our interview with Commander Smith via Zoom, of course, because in 2020, if you wanted to have interaction with anyone, you were contacting them either by a phone or Zoom or yelling across the courtyard. So we were very fortunate to be able to meet with him via Zoom. We asked him about 18 really in-depth questions, and we tried to focus heavily on leadership during crisis. But... We also wanted to understand how the Navy prepared their members for crisis situations. What we learned was the Navy was absolutely not immune to the negative impacts of COVID-19 as it relates to organizational operations. And Margaret and Commander Smith are within the recruiting sector of the Navy. So as you can imagine, their team struggled with that change from brick and mortar facilities and these face-to-face meetings that transition to virtual operations. You know, I know my organization struggled with it. I work in the public sector, as you mentioned, and we do have public meetings monthly where we need to have citizen involvement. So that was a struggle for us. It was a struggle for, you know, many organizations across the U.S. and across the world. And with the recruiting sector in the Navy, there was a sharp decline in recruitment numbers, and that also negatively impacted that target talent pool for recruitment. So, Even with all of these challenges, Commander Smith's team still managed to be pretty successful given the circumstances. We concluded during the interview that his success was partially due to the style of leadership he utilized, and it's called PAC Goal, which we'll go into a little bit more later on in the podcast. We also learned that the Navy begins preparing their personnel for leadership from day one, And we believe that this is another reason why the Navy and the recruiting division under Commander Smith fared so well during the pandemic. So again, this was a really interesting project for the team, and we're just really excited to be here to share it with you and the listeners. Thank you. How has military training prepared naval leaders to thrive during a crisis such as the pandemic? How about you, Katie? Would you like to answer? Yes, thank you. What we learned from Commander Smith was that the Navy is successful because their leadership training starts from day one. So day one in officer candidate school, you're leading thousands of sailors as a commanding officer, and they are consistently being trained in leadership, and it's often revisited in their time in the Navy. The Navy uses an acronym, JJ did tie buckle, and these are the 14 leadership traits that they encourage each of their sailors to exemplify. They are justice, judgment, dependability, initiative, decisiveness, tact, integrity, enthusiasm, bearing, unselfishness, courage, knowledge, loyalty, and endurance. And Commander Smith said, 
75% of the experience that he has and his expertise was gained on the job. The success of Naval Talent Acquisition Group Carolina during the COVID-19 crisis can be fully attributed to their leadership. Navy recruiting personnel, who were some of the only sailors in the fleets whose jobs could be done at home, were confined to their homes seemingly overnight. And Navy-wide, we saw an increase in harmful behavior. And Intag Carolina combated that through frequent communications, creating touch points within their command, and several other measures that they took to keep those harmful behaviors down. The leaders within Intag Carolina took those necessary steps and precautions to keep their sailors safe and happy. It was one of their number one priorities, including frequent check-ins and the constant sharing of information related to COVID-19. They did a bunch of other things that would keep them healthy and safe. Although their model for recruiting had to shift from face-to-face, just as Starla had mentioned, Intag Carolina continued to see their success. This drive and tenacity came from their desire to recruit the next generation of sailors that's going to impact the world, just as they were impacted by their leaders. So Katie, what were your most surprising research findings? I think something that was surprising to all four of us was one of the questions that we actually posed to Commander Smith was, do you recall another situation similar in impact to COVID that required such broad action or reaction? And could he provide us a brief description of the event and how he responded to it? And to our surprise, he actually discussed a situation that he described as more difficult than leading this whole entire team through the coronavirus pandemic, which was really shocking to us because in our lifetime, I don't think many of us have seen a situation as gripping as COVID-19. And so Commander Smith explained to us that he had previously worked under a high-ranking official who he would kind of liken to a CEO that was responsible for over 13,000 people. And unfortunately, the leadership was incredibly ineffective, and it resulted in almost a perpetual state of crisis management. And so many sailors had no desire to go to work. There were pushback from sailors, complaints, and all of that had become a part of everyday life under their leadership. We were, to say the least, shocked that this prior experience was more difficult than the current pandemic. But after we discussed the interview, we were able to see how in dealing with a toxic leadership crisis, Commander Smith was able to prepare for the disaster that was 2020. His previous experience in mitigating toxic leadership was almost a case study in what not to do. And as a result, he was well-versed in ways to support, motivate, and engage his sailors through COVID. And that gave us a great example of how experience really can mold leaders to face future complications. In your research, you all discussed the path-goal theory of leadership as it relates to the U.S. Navy and specifically to Commander Smith's actions. Can you tell our listeners what path-goal theory is in a few sentences, perhaps? How about you, Starla? Oh, absolutely. Um, And, you know, path-goal is a really interesting theory of leadership. And personally, path goal is the style of leadership that I choose. So path goal is a theory that describes a leadership style where leaders really cater their specific behaviors to their employees. And the basis revolves really around creating these one-on-one relationships, assessing employee needs, kind of looking at the task environment, 
and determining what leadership actions are going to motivate these employees and remove obstacles that may be preventing them from goal achievement. So in some circumstances, the task may be somewhat ambiguous and to achieve really good results, the leader may need to be more directive, which means creating a greater level of structure. But as things change, the task or the environment may be incredibly repetitive, a little bit boring. And at that point, the leader may need to reassess the situation and become more supportive and encouraging to help boost the motivation of those employees. So path goal requires a leader who is incredibly perceptive of their surroundings and aware of the emotional needs of others in order to achieve their goals. And Starla, um, this is Margaret, by the way, I just wanted to add to that, and this will kind of help our listeners get a better idea of how path goal theory is carried out in the Navy. So Commander Smith is leading over 500 individuals, and you might be asking yourself, how do you individually change situations and motivate 500 people? Well, so in the Navy, we have what we call a chain of command, and it's kind of like in any large-scale organization, you have your C-suite. And then they have the managers and directors, you know, mid-level managers. So in the Navy, we have the same exact thing. So each sailor has someone they report to, and you may at one time lead anywhere from 10 to 15 people. And so it was so amazing to watch really the president put out things and the CDC, and that would go through uh, Navy recruiting command, which is an admiral level. And it would continue going down almost in a telephone style And then Commander Smith would put out his expectations and then his leaders, um, we call them officers in charge at the 03 level, which is a lieutenant like myself, they would carry out these duties to their chiefs. The chiefs would communicate to the lead petty officers and so on and so forth. So every single sailor really has a relationship and a connection with their supervisor. And it's through that relationship that the supervisors are able to even carry out path goals. So I think it really comes down to as leaders in any organization, making sure that that relationship and that trust is there so that you can read your employees or followers or sailors and make those changes. I, I totally agree. And I think that in our conversations with Commander Smith, he really you know, addressed how he was trying so hard to communicate with everyone throughout the pandemic. And he, he made a point to note that it was daily communication. So, I mean, that in itself, the continuous communication certainly boosted those relationships and continue building those relationships. So thank you for that, Margaret. Do you feel that the path goal style of leadership would work for all leaders? How about you, Stala? Would you like to answer that? Sure. Uh, You know, not necessarily. I I don't think that it would work for everyone. It, It works for me and it certainly worked for Commander Smith. But successful leadership styles are going to vary depending on the leader and the followers, the cultures, the task, you know, et cetera. One leadership style doesn't fit all organizations. And realistically, furthermore, you know, one leadership style doesn't fit all leaders or employees. The basis of path goal is that the leader has those one-on-one relationships and understands what motivates each follower. And then they develop the relationship with that person to aid in really overcoming any obstacles in order to reach both common goals and then that individual's personal goal. Path goal requires that the leader have the cognitive ability to assess the situation, be aware of employee motivation, and most importantly, be able to adjust their behavior appropriately to coincide with employee needs. So 
as the tasks change, the followers' motivations may change, and thus the leader may have to alter their actions. So not every leader out there has the ability to assess a situation at that accurate level. And furthermore, not all leaders have the ability to transform their leadership style as motivations are replaced. So the absence of the ability to change how one interacts with their followers, it really nullifies the intent of path goal. Luckily for Intag Carolina, Commander Smith had the ability to assess the situations as they were changing during COVID-19 and modify his leadership actions accordingly. So I think, I really think that's why they were so successful. Starla, you're so right. And it kind of really brings me back to this level of emotional intelligence that leaders have to have, especially in today's workforce, because having to almost manage your own emotions and realize and how to adapt behaviors based on who you're communicating with. Uh, I think it takes a lot of self-efficacy, self-control, emotional intelligence, and gosh, like that's something that I know I have to work on all the time. And luckily, the Navy gives me plenty of opportunities to, uh, and kind of challenges, I should say, to work on those skills. Margaret, can you tell us how has COVID changed NTAC Carolina's operations and have they experienced any more issues this year? Yeah, Dr. Jermaine, that's a great question. And COVID really, it didn't as much change the way that Intag Carolina was headed. It just changed the timeline. So to give you a little bit of background, so back in 2017, uh, Navy Recruiting Command, so Navy Recruiting Command is the, the big echelon over all of Navy recruiting in the entire country and Puerto Rico. So they are comprised of over 26 different NRDs. At the time, those are called Navy Recruiting Districts. So Commander Smith, he's the CEO of a Navy recruiting district. Well, imagine, so that's 26 companies, about 500 personnel, uh, give or take. Back in 2017, NRC went out with this new initiative that they were going to shift all NRDs to INTAGs. That stands for Navy Talent Acquisition Group. The main difference between an NRD and an INTAG is with the NRD, which is the tried and true method. We have been doing this for decades. You have individual recruiters who are going out and prospecting. They are onboarding their applicants. They are building this relationship with the applicant, almost like a cradle to grave, if you will. Now, so for Intag Carolina, for example, we have 55 individual recruiting stations across North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. Each one of these stations are fully manned. Now, with this Intag model, the Navy's idea was taking individuals who have certain skills like extroversion, loving to talk to people, better in sales. Those people, they're actually going to focus into being talent scouts. I myself, I'm a talent scout. Now, for officers, it's a little different because I do cradle to grave still. But for the enlisted side, which is the majority of the recruiting mission, over 200 applicants and sailors were putting in every single month. We're now breaking this up. So you have individuals who are going out and, and prospecting, and then you're having processors who are in the office full-time. They're assessing, they're onboarding. You usually have a senior enlisted getting the kids ready for boot camp, getting them you know, ready physically and all that. So what it does, eventually the Navy's idea is that we'll be using less brick and mortar. So taking our 55 stations down to only eight, which is going to save money, resources. It'll save um, commercial real estate. So there's a lot of good long-term But let me tell you, this was a huge shift for the Navy. Uh, Nationwide, the model wasn't prevailing as as well as it maybe could have been. And when COVID hit, so NRD Raleigh was supposed to make the transition in 2023. It was supposed to be a two-year rollout. From 2021 to 23, we're supposed to shift over 
into this new model. And Dr. Jermaine, it was really incredible to watch leadership come together. We made the switch in two months. We essentially on October 1st of 2020 went fully operational as an intag model. So this new model really forced sailors to improve their communication skills, make sure that that trust and rapport was built early on so that when you hand off your applicant to their onboarder, that they're, they're bought into the Navy, they're bought into their job and they're bought into the process. And kind of to give you some insight, Intag Carolina prior to the model was expected to put in about 215 uh, individuals per month. That goal didn't decrease. Uh, other Intags across the country, their goals were drastically decreased. I mean, 10, 15, maybe 50 sailors a month. And last month, believe it or not, I believe that was um, March, 2021, Intag Carolina actually went green across the board, which means we put in 197 sailors using this new model. And it's really exciting to watch this model work. And I'm so just thrilled that Intag Carolina has been able to adapt as they have. And I attribute a lot of that to Commander Smith's leadership. Uh, But we actually have the Navy recruiting commander, Admiral Velasquez. He is the CEO of all Navy recruiting command. He is making a personal appearance next Thursday to come meet with our C-suite and come meet with Commander Smith and come meet with me, thankfully, and just talk about what we're doing here at Intag Carolina that is making us so successful. Because as of May 2021, we are the number one recruiting command in the entire country. That is quite impressive. Thanks for sharing that with us, Margaret. I want to come back to your paper and ask one more question. What are the main challenges you noticed, but also the biggest lessons learned from your findings, Margaret? There was many challenges, that's for sure. But I think one of the main ones that we had to look at as leaders from a leadership perspective was how it affected our sailors. So you have sailors of all different age, race, economic background. Um, You have some that are participating in high level technical IT, information technology specialists, um, electrician mate. And then you have others who, you know, they're gunner's mates, you know, they're bosun's mates. They fix aircraft for a living or um, the CSs, those are culinary specialists. They're professional chefs for a living. So you have these people from all different backgrounds and Honestly, especially with some of our junior sailors, they were so supervised and micromanaged. And this is a huge lesson for leaders is being on such a rigid schedule as some of these sailors were working 10, 12, 14 hour days under direct oversight of our chiefs, of our E7, of our E8, some of our senior leadership. And when these sailors were shifted home a lot of them, it was a breath of fresh air. And and that's the game of recruiting. It is a numbers game. We are working hard. We are trying to make goal every single month. And at the first of every month, all that work from last month, we start back at zero and you're working just as hard. So I think for a lot of the sailors, it was kind of a breath of fresh air. And so from a leadership perspective, it was, okay, how do we continue to motivate these individuals to keep pushing while they have all these other challenges. And especially, and and being in the HR realm and especially talent acquisition, trust and rapport with your individuals, especially when you're bringing them into an organization such as the military is probably the 
biggest foundational aspect of recruiting. And when you don't have face-to-face and when you're cold calling or you're sending messages on Facebook or, or, or how whatever recruiting modalities that we were using, it is so much more difficult to build that trust. And so not only were our feet kind of pulled out from under us with having that face-to-face contact, schools were closed. Some high school regions across the South don't have access to connectivity. Some don't have Wi-Fi. Some don't have the, you know, some aren't on social media. And so, you know, we're really trying to serve a lot of these underserved communities. And I think reaching these communities was such a big challenge. Um, They kind of want to circle back to motivating our sailors and, and kind of, as Katie mentioned, recruiting was one of the only aspects of the Navy that was able to do their work from home. And so I think from a leadership perspective, we really had to look at going back to path goal. Okay. How can we motivate these individuals? Let's think about different Liberty. You know, if you get 50% of your goal by the 50% gate, which is halfway through the month, you get an extra Monday off three day weekend. So we're really trying to find ways to motivate these sailors to continue to produce when there wasn't as much micromanagement nor oversight. That is quite impressive. Thanks for sharing that with us, Margaret. I want to come back to your paper and ask one more question. What are the main challenges you noticed, but also the biggest lessons learned from your findings, Margaret? I think some of the biggest lessons that we were able to learn from this experience was how important communication really is. Not just communication, but effective communication. Um, And that goes up and down the chain of command. We needed to know sailors, men, women, what's working? What's not working? What do you need from us? What can we do to facilitate this and make your job easier? Because if our sailors, and and that kind of goes to checking in and, and, hey, what are your personal goals? What can we do to help facilitate your goals? Because throughout human resource management, I think one of the biggest things that um, HR professionals really need to do is make sure that their individuals' personal goals align with not only the culture of the organization, but the organizational goals. And that really links organizational strategy to um, your individual employees. And if you can align that, man, you are you are really going to be successful no matter what industry you're in. So I think it was making the sailors understand the importance of their mission and ensuring the followers were, uh, again, just aligning with the organizational mission. And we did that through, you know, different liberties. We had, oh, Commander Smith just did an amazing, um, he was sending out massive awards, recruiter of the quarter, boxing gloves, football helmets. I mean, anything and everything we could come up with to kind of excite these individuals and keep them engaged. Um, So I think those were one, just making sure effective communication, we're receiving feedback from our followers and from our sailors, and not only receiving it, but we're listening and we're implementing. And then uh, again, so communicating and then just making sure that when we're working with people that we're communicating our goals and our expectations, and then most importantly, that we're giving them the tools and the resources to do their jobs effectively. Margaret, Katie, and Starla, thank you very much for sharing your insights about leadership and recruiting in the U.S. Navy during the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you so much for having us here. So on behalf of myself and Margaret, Katie, and Olivia, who was not able to join us, we would like to say, you know, thank you for, one, assigning us the project in the first place back in 2020. 
and two, helping us with the submittal to the Academy of Human Resource Development and then having us on your podcast. So again, we are very excited to be here. So thank you so very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dear Human Resources. In each episode, you will hear about current HR topics and trends from experts, both practitioners and researchers, with the goal of giving you an insider's look at human resources.